Hi guys, welcome to the Challenger podcast. You're with Morgan Tioka, your host, and I have a really great friend of mine here, Kelly McKellar-Nathan. How are you going? Good, thank you. <laughs> Morgs, good. how are you? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Um, I asked Maka to come and do this interview with me because I absolutely think she's a wonderful person and also because I think she has a lot of great messages to share to any of the listeners about her sporting aspirations and what she sort of went through um, in her past and also what she does now. So get going. So just um, in following, acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting today, now known as Brisbane. Also acknowledge our elders, past, present and emerging, and our broader Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, particularly because this is NAIDOC week this week, so it's a, a time for us to celebrate our people, culture and contributions and achievements. This is the Challenge Her podcast. This is the Challenge Her podcast. So it's NAIDOC week this week. I did sure see that. Sure is. And the theme this year is healing country, which is quite fitting considering what's happened over the last 18 months. So yeah, definitely. And they do say, you know, we're that connected to our country or our land that um, it does have that health impact on our people and their health. So um, the connection between people and their country is, is very important and quite strong. Yeah, do you believe that... Um NAIDOC Week, um, it's been around for a number of years, but it actually kind of originated out of a protest for um, more recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And over the years, it's become a, more of a gathering celebration. And I know Brisbane community were really looking forward to um, this year coming together, particularly after COVID impacts. But the recent lockdown um, has kind of postponed this week's events till later in the year. So when we just got to hang on a little bit longer. When did they reschedule it to? Uh, September school holidays so far. Okay. So, yeah. So I can let you know yeah, and that share that stuff great. with your school. and That would be awesome. Yeah. I'd love to. But I generally it's the first full week in July. So it goes from Sunday the 4th till Sunday the 11th and... Um, you know, we have a Brisbane Torres, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, but there's larger populations in different regions and they kind of, well, they do run their own events. So um, those events are very much driven and owned by the community. So it's their celebration, how they choose to acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I um, So just to give you a bit of a rundown, Smacks is like a, I would say when I was younger, coming through playing softball, definitely like someone I always looked up to and definitely a role model for me, um, mainly with what I saw her values to be. So I didn't know Smacks very well, but always kind, always made an effort to say hello to everybody around her, extremely genuine. And that was sort of always the person I always saw when I'd come to softball. So I guess having you on the show as my first, you know, one of my first interviewers is very special for me and I really, I guess, want to let other people get to know you like I got to know you 
um, and Freckles because I just think you're both very wonderful, respectable people in the community and just to get to know, I guess, your story and I think it's really awesome that you get to have a great perspective on your sporting adversity and I guess transition into um, what you're currently doing. Yeah. But um, do you reckon you could shed some light on, I guess, your past history, both how you started playing yeah, and then... Yeah, of course. Um, so I probably started softball, well, t-ball, um, about the age of seven. And I was actually introduced to the sport by, um, at the time, there were only a couple of Aboriginal families that lived in the Winter Manly area. And... Um, one of my good friends, Loren Close, it was her mother, Annie Carroll, that introduced me to softball. So I've always had uh, a love for any kind of sport. I guess my first real passion, though, was track and field in, um, you know, one, 200, mainly the 400 metres. Um, but I really enjoyed the team environment and the relationships that you hold with individuals, but... It's so unique because you're essentially competing against someone for the same position, but out of that becomes this lifelong beautiful friendship at the same time, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I really value that. So there's really kind of deep lessons that you can learn in that because you're essentially competing against them, but you just admire and love them as a person and what support and care they give to you when you're not having the best game, but... Um, I played all different kinds of sports, touch, tennis, running, everything. Um, Was a very active kid. Um, How old were you when you, um, I guess, made the decision? The reason I ask this question is because um, we have a lot of kids coming through the school system where they are like, I'm a front rower rugby league player. And it sort of scares you because you just remember growing up and like, playing all different sorts of sports and you know in summer it'd be one sport and then in winter you'd sort of go off and do something different how old were you when you made sort of the decision to put all your effort just into softball well I kind of balanced both of them track and field and softball all through high school Mm -hmm. so it was probably fortunate the timing of those sports you know so softball was more of a summer and um, track and field was more winter yep um, so I could really balance that, but it was at the – I'd just finished high school. Um, I'd been selected in the Australian Under-19 team for World Series, but I'd also been selected in um, – I guess it was like an Australian team. that They were kind of up-and-coming juniors in track and field, and they wanted to take um, those athletes across the US competing at – training and competing at – different venues, you know, star colleges and yeah. um, for a period of time. But the dates were exactly the same. It was a clash that I obviously had to make a, a, decision, a decision between the two. Yeah. And at the time I just I – d- I didn't feel like the track and field one, you know, what I know now, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, – I, I felt wearing the green and gold was more important to me at that time and I didn't think I'd get another chance to represent Australia in softball. Um, so that's essentially why I chose softball really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then from that, um, 
Because I was um, watching the – there was a YouTube clip that you did an interview and you talk about how Kathy Freeman was your training partner. And I was like, what? <laughs> you <laughs> never mentioned this. <laughs> yeah, so when we um, first made Queensland together, um, Kathy lived in Mackay, obviously, and we had another um, Torres Strait Islander girl with us, Tamara Nagus. So they – my family billeted them. Yeah. Um, and we went down to Melbourne to compete in the South Pacific Games uh, for primary school. Um, and at that time, mostly Kathy and I were doing the 100 and 200 metres. Yeah. Um, but as time went on, we kind of progressed to the 400 metres. And I can claim one time that I did <laughs> beat her. <laughs> um and, you know, it was probably the perfect race. I remember it so clearly. It was probably my best race ever and probably would have been my last that I actually had competed against her. But, um, you know, we have an old black and white photo of the three of us that were in the local paper and, um, yeah, it's the same kind of thing with softball. We got a really good friendship out of it but when it was on to compete against each other it was on, it was on yeah. yeah and the 400 like I actually couldn't think of a worse um field a track event on the body when I figured out what training goes into yeah. training but that's what I did miss <laughs> you're, like, you're like I definitely know which is more enjoyable yeah I'd rather do a beep test yeah. than 400 meter training session because we had girls come into school and they'd be like oh I had athletics training last night and I was like oh yeah like what did you do and they're like oh yeah we just did 10 400s at 80 percent and I'm just like I'm sorry <laughs> who puts themselves through that <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough thing. And I I think as much as I loved it, I just – it's the mental side of it, your mental preparation. With any sport, it's usually 70, 30, 80, 20 around your mental preparation. But athletics was next level, you know. Definitely. Um, Because it's like that internal battle, isn't it? Because you don't really have that camaraderie of your friends supporting you through everything, all the – failures and all the, the tough And just times. what races through your mind right before the gun goes, trying yep. to keep yourself settled and, yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, that's where your preparation is to, you know, exactly how you're going to run the race and, yeah. yeah. Well, claim to fame. Yes. <laughs> I beat it. I beat it. <laughs> <laughs> and then from that, you kept making – so you kept making the Australian softball team after that. Well – my story is interesting because you don't hear many about people that miss out on selection. So I'd actually made um, – in in my time, a junior player wasn't commonly picked in a senior team. Really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a, a crew of, I guess, a, a team of nine that was selected all the time. Yeah. Um, much older players. So for any young ones to break the ranks were – was unheard of and I was fortunate to do that. So I travelled with the Australian Open women's team to China for the Challenger Cup where we placed silver medal. Yep. Um, And I think that was like in July. Come October the same year, I was not selected in the Queensland team and I was absolutely devastated but I didn't want to become one of these players that just kept playing sport or softball, yep. 
just for the fun of it. I knew I had a taste of playing for your country and Definitely. training at that level. I just didn't 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 want to just play club. Yep. So when I was at the Worlds for under-19s, there were some scouts out there and um, were offered a university scholarship. So I was later that year on a plane headed for Oklahoma City. So you didn't make Queensland that year. And then you went and made and went to Oklahoma. So within six months, I'd gone from an Australian representative player to To missing out, living in America on a scholarship. (laughs) How did you like, how did you deal with that? Like that, that's a pretty big setback, like mentally, and then to sort of overcome it and go, that's a really cool opportunity. Yeah. I think I was probably hard on myself because yep. I did miss one day of the three-day d- weekend that we play. So you then go into your own mind, well, I should have been there for the full three days. Um, yeah, I probably w- just took it more that I didn't put forth the effort to really okay. secure my spot. So yep. I didn't blame anybody. I took the responsibility myself um, and I just – made things happen for myself yep. yeah never played victim just like no and i, I love softball i love the team environment so yep. yeah i just i didn't want to lose that at all and and going to america just uh helped me develop more as a player and as a person you know i had to i think the first I cried the first week that I was there because <laughs> I was like, I mean, young Mum, and I yeah. want to come home. And I she's bet. like, no, you've made a commitment. You at least have to give it a good go, you yeah. know. And I think if she never said that to me, I probably would have... Jumped on the plane yeah. straight back home. But over there we played something like oh, 10 to 12 games a week. So A week? Yeah. In our season... So we'd have double headers Tuesday, Thursday nights and then a tournament on the weekend which would consist of probably nine games. So your game um, skill level just and knowledge of the game just... Went through the yeah. roof. And, um, and then personally you learn how to manage money better. Yep. You kind of mature about things and, yeah. Because what would you say, like, we have um, currently we've got... A few girls in year 11 down at the school I'm currently at and I'd love to see more girls do it but just trying to create their profile and start their interviews to get the opportunity to go over and be in a college both of it we've got a soccer program and a rugby sevens program and they just don't even consider it to be an opportunity some of them because you know they come from a low socioeconomic background they haven't heard of the opportunity before but they're so raw and talented and then we're sort of putting it in front of them like you might have the opportunity to go to a college like what would you what advice would you give to them yeah I think for me Morgs it was the family support like mum always said to me that I had a tenacity about me that um, I was just going to make things happen or achieve what I wanted to achieve. But I wouldn't have been able to do that without mum and dad. So I think having a support network around those young people is critical to what decisions they make and um, what they choose to do. 
um, because it's not easy to yeah, up and leave for another country, you know, and Especially really that need that support. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, if you just compare my sister and I, so Trace was quite a good softballer as well and had made Queensland, but she, I, I don't know what the difference was between us, but she was worried about how mum and dad would pay for her um, oh, to where I didn't care. I was like, <laughs> it's like, they're going to make it happen. Say yes, see ya. <laughs> yeah. And then regret But I'm sure with. there's young people that um, are in family situations, um, might be raised by their grandparents or grandmother, and those kind of issues are at the forefront yeah, for definitely. them, you know. And if they're um, looking after other siblings, Which is it's just. Um, more support it just makes their decision even more harder to make yeah definitely and that's probably I think the biggest um barrier or obstacle that they're dealing with is how do they self-manage when they don't have that really awesome support positive support network and they are helping take care of the younger siblings and um usually in well from what we know in the Pacific Islander families and I've had a really good chats with some of the families and the parents, they tend to invest in that um, one sibling um, who's really excelling and yeah. put all their time and effort into them and the rest really get around the family and help out. Um, so some of the girls in some of our uh, programs down there, they are like another mum. Yeah, yeah. You know, huge part of supporting the family. So it is a tough conversation and transition to try and get them to up and leave. Yeah. And they're so scared and nervous but so talented, so. And I think, you know, like as much as the family might be uh, supportive, if that that young person can't find it there, then they might find it in Project 180 or a gym or another family that can just give them the emotional, mental support that they need as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Going forward now, can you explain what you do now? Yes. Okay. So what I loved about softball was, um, you know, you're in high-pressure situations. um, So um, at the moment, so I've been able to, that softball experience has equipped me to be able to easily transfer my skills over into the workplace. So um, one compliment I do get at work is around um, under pressure situations, I remain kind of calm and collected and any kind of decisions that are made are well considered. Um, So my role at the moment, I work for Brisbane City Council. I've just hit 20 years in December last year. Certainly doesn't feel like that. And my jobs have changed over the time. This is the role that I'm in now, team leader for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander team. Um, is probably the longest stint that I've had. But um, essentially we work in community development. So we work very closely with Brisbane's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. And I think if you split our work plan into two... We have days of significance like National Sorry Day, Marbo Day and NAIDOC Week uh, that we work with our communities within a community development framework um, to assist them to put an event together at how they want to put the event together so it's not dictated by council or you have to do this, that and the other. 
And then the other side of it is there might be certain issues that come up within the communities and we, we were, we're just we become a stakeholder at the table and work with the key um, Indigenous organisation around how they want to respond to that issue. So that while council or our role might be to provide some financial support, our work's really based on our relationship with the communities yep. and, um, and our work is guided and directed by them. So... Um, to ensure that it's kind of culturally appropriate, but yeah. you know, you know, the Inala community community is different to the north side, and yeah, north side's different to Wynnum. And Do you think the twenty years is just a real significant sort of demonstration of how much you just love and like it's your job in regards to like it's more of a like a passion and you get to do the things you love rather than a job like it's yeah. something you just and it's always changing so the challenge is you know we have a our commitment is that it's kind it is a fine balance because we live and work in our community so it's quite common for us to go to a family barbecue and work might come up or you know those kind of discussions so it can be a fine line between um um you know, political issues, I guess. But um, I think we do an okay job at um, working on the relationship between, say, the Lord Mayor um, and other councillors, um, having a relationship with Brisbane Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community and and being really heard around what the issues and aspirations are and how we can assist to make those happen. This is very, like, impactful, isn't it? Like, you must feel that real feeling of you know I get to actually make a difference and have an opportunity to create some change it's challenging sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um I do I love my job yeah. and I love the people I work with so um I'm very very fortunate you know yeah. especially coming coming through COVID where Definitely. People have had really significant loss around their own business and so I feel quite blessed that I have what I have. Yeah, definitely. I have a really – so I've been asking everyone this question because on my very first interview I was asked this question by Glenn who ran like a bit of an intro for me and he said, if you could go back to your, you know, 15, 16, teenage self, what advice or what would you tell them? in hindsight, that you wish they sort of knew or you wish they could gain a bit of perspective or value, anything to do with, like, identity and values? Like, what sort of advice would you give them? I probably didn't realise it at the time, but my cultural belonging was critical to who I was and I I know that now looking back. So when I was in... um, year nine I was at an all-girls private school but for the entire year nine I was bullied um so I was called abo coon nigger anytime my parents got involved with the school it just made it worse and I remember mama saying to me that um she doesn't ever remember me crying she said I never ever not wanted to go to school um so I think there was a couple of things in that. So I had such a strong cultural um, belonging and upbringing that I was certain of who I was. Yeah. So 
you can call me whatever name you wanted to and I know exactly who I am yeah. and where I come from. And around the education, my dad's a primary school teacher, so he always enforced that that was critical for us to have an education. Um, and, you know, when I kind of went with softball, he said, you know, softball's not going to pay put bread and butter yeah. on the table. You need to have something. You could have an injury at yes. any time. Um, so you need to have something to fall, fall back, back on. Yeah. And I'm really th- thankful for that advice. Um, but I think it's, when, yeah, for the 15, 17-year-olds, Kelly, McKellar back then, it would be around, you know, know your culture um, and connect with people that um, help you learn and develop that along the way because it's so core to who you are. Um, and and having that certainty around self-identity, I think I see that's what some my experiences with young people is, um, you know, with their anxiety or depression yeah. is triggered by how they're perceived by other people. Definitely. Um, things that are said to them. Um, and I, I know it's it's more challenging these days because, um, like we said before, around social media, yeah. it's posted, it's always <laughs> there. Um, but, I, you know, I think as... I still think as young people, you still have a good sense of good and bad and um, if you have that really strong self-identity and lucky enough to have a cultural connection, um, that's what I'd be telling definitely to, to lock into those. Because I, I agree with you and I was having a good chat to one of the other workers here, Jaden, um, who's a good friend um, and he was a, an NRL player and with our kids coming through, whatever they're good at or whatever they see value in or they see their purpose in, they then align it to their identity. So if they are really good at softball or track and field or rugby, they going through school because they're struggling to figure out who they are, they tend to think that because they're good at that, that's who they are. And so as soon as there is an injury or as soon as they fail or they don't make a team, the self-esteem and that that goes crashing down and they really struggle because they've yep. attached it to who they are. Yeah. But it's got nothing to do with who you are. It's just something that you're really good at, which is amazing. But then, like even now, I think I only really started to truly understand who I was and what my values look like at this age and I think man if I could go back to my 15 year old self and go these are your values you know you have great family connections you understand your Maori heritage you are hardworking and determined and that's you yeah and then everything else is just things that happen around you um based on timing yeah. or yeah no, I agree completely, Morgs, because I think the one thing, I, like I was never, I don't feel like I was ever the big noter of, you know, Kelly McKellar, the Australian player. Or, I haven't heard big noter. <laughs> <laughs> I never felt like that. Um, <laughs> but my family also kept me very grounded, you know. So um, even though I played for Australia, that was not ever really important. I mean, my grandparents and extended family, yeah, it was never really important to them. Yes. Yeah, 
That's really cool. Yeah. And the pressures sometimes parents put on their kids this day and age to be something and they sort of li- can live through their kids. I know we deal with that definitely in our rugby league excellence school. You can see the pressures on that kid. So as soon as he does struggle or fail, they just really can't figure out how to show resilience around that. They really struggle with it. Yeah, and I can appreciate it being a challenge for parents, but, you know, I've seen other examples where the kids just, because of that, lose interest and don't want to do it anymore, you know? Definitely. Um, yeah, and I think for me, like... My dad was a bit is a big punter, so he never came to any of my games. Because <laughs> <laughs> so it was ra- race horse day. racing <laughs> was always more important. Yeah, but um, mum never missed a game, but was quiet as a mouse. You know, yeah. I'd say take an amazing catch or have a beautiful hit, and it would just she would just be exactly the same as if I'd missed a ball or yeah. was Kate too. You know, she just. Um, yeah, kept me grounded. And then when Will Dad did come, it was in between races. <laughs> and then I'd get super nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and worry a little bit. But things like that keep you grounded, you know, like yeah, you definitely. don't you don't realise it at the time. But um yeah. Definitely. And I think that's um it just seems to be coming up more and more, like every person I've been talking to. I think I've done four podcasts now. And every time we have a chat about social pressures or social insecurities that kids are dealing with, it always goes back to the fact that there's a lack of understanding around who you are. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, uh, I've, you know, a couple of young people I know that's um, their triggers are around anxiety and part of that is um, they're just... They haven't been in those situations to know how to respond, like who who they are to know how to respond yeah. and manage or deal with that, that issue. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the more that um, we ha- we're talking about it with them and they have role models or people around them, adults, that have different situations that... Um, are just unique to that person. They they pick up little qualities from that person and apply that to their own life. Definitely. So um, that high performing team or like yeah. finding those. I think Glenn always says to us, you know, if you hang around, you know, four drop kicks, you'll end up becoming the fifth. Then you yeah. hang around, hang around four high performers, you end up becoming the fifth. And I mean, walking into here. When I first started, there's no such thing as like a surface conversation. Like you'll walk in, they'll be like, hey, how are you going? And then all of a sudden they'll be like, so what book are you reading? And, you know, what's your goals this week? And you're like, um, I thought you were just going to ask me about my weekend. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to start like thinking on a deeper level and then they start to challenge you and be super honest on like showing integrity and what that looks like. And then... You're but like, it okay. gets them thinking too about, yeah. well, what are my goals for this week and what am I going to write down and want to achieve, you know? Definitely. And yeah. I think when it comes to those sort of kids going through, struggling to understand who they are and dealing with anxiety or depression or mental health, if we can sort of, you know, keep pushing the understanding around what values are, what do they look like? And it's those small steps every day of trying to figure out how are you going to be that person that can show those values. 
it's not about who you currently are. It's about who do you want to be and understand are your current behaviours aligning with the values that you want to achieve. And kindness has to be at the core of it, you know. Definitely. Like, you know, we have a kind of family thing where um, you have to, you have to have the ability to laugh at yourself, you know. So if we throw chuck a chuck off a joke around you, mm. everyone will giggle about it. But <laughs> the minute that you get an attitude about it, that doesn't sit well with us. Yeah. So you have to have that ability to be kind of flexible and laugh like at yourself. Self compassion. Yeah. But then don't treat other people how you don't like to be treated, you know? Yep. Yeah. Definitely. All right, well, I'll finish it there. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I sort of get nervous and I'm like, okay, I think that's it. I think that's what we've ended up talking about. I think we've covered everything. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Is it? Oh, is there anything you want to say about, like, you know, softball in the Olympics? And I, like, I can't believe it's back in the Olympics, to be totally honest. And I'm so excited to watch the girls play. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's been, what, 13 years, yeah. I think. So um makes me even more in awe of the girls that have, older girls that have Stuff, stayed on that yeah. journey for that number of years. I can't really see any other athlete from swimming or... No way. ...staying in a sport with no Olympics over 13 years, not competing. So that's amazing in itself. Definitely. I'm just a little bit disappointed with obviously with COVID because they won't get that atmosphere. Yeah, and that that crowd it can really make change, you know, game changing moments um, where one hit can win a game. You know, just yeah. that pump up from the crowd. But um, I'm excited for it, I, and I just I hope that it remains an Olympic sport. You know, definitely. Yeah. I still remember where I was when they were playing in that Beijing uh, 2008. It was the bronze medal match or was it bronze medal? No, semi-final was it, I think, or quarterfinal. It was one of the finals and it went into like the 13th yeah. inning and I was at I was at softball training down the Gold Coast, <laughs> you know, getting ready for my under-16 Bs uh, right field position. <laughs> I'm standing out there and Kate comes running out and she's like, they've gone to the 13th inning. And I was like, we got to go, Barry, sorry. <laughs> like running off the field. But then like getting home and – or whenever we got home and still being able to watch it on the TV and just being in absolute awe of like everything, yeah. the under pressure, the environment, the atmosphere, you know, what they were saying about the players on, on the commentary, just everything about it. It was the most intense – sporting moment i've ever yeah. seen um and softball has everything speed power yeah. strength um hand eye you know that it's it's yeah a highly skilled sport and your mental capacity is just as important as your skill level oh yeah yeah because you fail someone told me that it, what is it it's like when you play well you fail 70 yeah. percent of the game because well, it, yeah, it just even you turn at bats, you know. Yeah. Like we all want to get one turn at bat every time at bat, but um, if you just get one hit out of three, you're you're looking good, you're <laughs> playing top level yeah. on a big spot softball. Yeah, they're like you batted three hundred. You're yeah. like, what does that look like? And they're like, you hit three times out of ten. <laughs> Holy heck, <laughs> pretty good. You'll hopefully, I guess, big. Uh, good luck to those girls. I'm so excited to watch them play. Me too. And 
can't wait to see them smash it, especially talking to some of them, just like the, the change in their culture. They said it's just improved and improved and improved going more towards Tokyo um, than it was a few years ago. And I guess with nothing sort of in in light, no goal sort of in front of them, it would have been tough. Yeah, it would have been challenging, yeah. yeah like and Tokyo, yeah, they'll have a ball there. They love uh, Japan and they're such beautiful people and... Mm-hmm. I'm sort of glad there's no um, there's no crowd in that regard because yeah. <laughs> all the Japanese that they be, would win. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, thank you so much for this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Morgs. I love it, and I hope you want to come back on my I show. Will. Okay, good. <laughs> all right, thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you later. You've been listening to the Challenge Her podcast with Morgan Tioka. Follow, rate and share to help empower and educate young women.